Welcome to the Danny Picard Show on the Podcast One Network. It is Monday, September 16th, 2019. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, I will react to all of week two in the NFL. I'll also react to the latest news regarding Antonio Brown and the NFL's investigation of the rape accusation that has been made against him. I also have a couple thoughts on the Red Sox and Bruins. The Red Sox are looking for a new GM, as you know, and the Bruins just locked up one of their best players with a new contract, a team-friendly contract. So stick around. I have some thoughts on that. All of it today presented by BetOnline. Go to BetOnline.ag to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Get involved in all the action by signing up for a free BetOnline account and use promo code PODCAST1, that's promo code PODCAST1, to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. And as you know, if you listen to me, we have the PODCAST1 Sportsnet Challenge that is going strong for the second straight year. You can check out the standings and all of our picks at podcast1sportsnet.com. That's podcast1sportsnet.com. I'm going up against the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin, Shaquille O'Neal, Adam Carolla, Chael Sonnen, just to name a few. So go check that out at podcast1sportsnet.com. Bet online, the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Bet online. .ag. Today's show is also presented by DraftKings. Play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C. Play for free next Sunday in the $1.6 million play action contest for week three in the NFL. $1.6 million in total prizes with $100,000 going to first place. Again, play for free by signing up right now with promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. Welcome to the show on this Monday, September 16th. Picks, picks for week two. Uh, so far, so good. I went 3-1 and one against the spread on Sunday. Now my fifth pick is my lock of the week, actually, and I'm waiting for that because that will be tonight on Monday Night Football, the Cleveland Browns against the New York Jets. This game is at MetLife, so the Browns go on the road, and I picked the Browns. But I did pick the Browns on Thursday morning of last week, and when I picked the Browns, they were a 2.5-point favorite. Well, right now they're a 6.5-point favorite because, as you know with the Jets, the news is that Sam Donald, quarterback Sam Donald, is going to be out for a couple weeks now. He has mono, so he's dealing with uh, the mono illness. He will miss this game on Monday Night Football. Cleveland now a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and I guess the question is, would I have still taken Cleveland at six-and-a-half, at minus six-and-a-half? And the answer is, yeah, I think I would have. On the road, Cleveland got punched in the mouth in week one. I think it was the best thing to happen to them, and uh, I think that'll be a good thing for them, and we'll... Find out that'll be a good thing for him, or that was a good thing for him on Monday Night Football. So I picked the Browns. That is my lock of the week. But I did pick them at minus two and a half. So I'm going to stick with that. You know, it <laughs> the spread is what it is at the time that you put that bet in. And I put it in on Thursday morning when they were two and a half point favorite over the Jets. So uh, I went three and one on Sunday. I had Arizona plus 13. I told you I didn't think they'd win that game in Baltimore, but they would cover, and they did cover. So Arizona, I won that with the 13 points. I won Kansas City minus 7.5 over the Raiders in Oakland. Patrick Mahomes getting it done once again. Did anybody think Kansas City was going to lose this game? Even though they were on the road, no way. They were not going to lose this game, and they did cover the spread. So I took Kansas City and won that one. KC minus seven and a half. And then I took the Patriots minus 18 and a half over the Dolphins in Miami. And the Patriots whooped the Dolphins 43 to nothing. 43 nothing. I'm going to get into that a little more in just a moment. But uh, so those are my three wins on Sunday Arizona plus 13, Kansas City minus seven and a half, and the Patriots minus 18 and a half. My only loss on Sunday against the spread was I had Pittsburgh minus four at home 
over Seattle. Seattle wins this game, but Ben Roethlisberger, the news there is that Ben Roethlisberger goes down and leaves that game with an injury, a non-contact injury to the throwing elbow, which is obviously a major concern because it was non-contact. And the news that I'm hearing this morning, that I'm reading this morning, is that he's going to miss some time. Got the MRI. They'll wait in the reports. I'm sure they'll probably get a a second opinion on that, but um, Big Ben leaves that game, and Pittsburgh loses that game, so obviously as the favorite at home, they don't cover, and I go 3-1 and one with Pittsburgh being my only loss in Week 2 on Sunday, and we wait around for Cleveland to beat the Jets. That's what I think they'll do, and I think they'll cover the minus 2.5 that I took them at, but if you're looking at it and going, hey, should I take Cleveland minus 6.5? I would say, yeah, do it. I think Cleveland is going to have a big game. I do. I think the Browns are going to have a big game on Monday night. But anyways, uh, by the time you listen to this, that game might be over. So let's get to the news that we saw and the top storylines from Sunday in Week 2. And I think the story of Week 2 from Sunday's slate has to be injuries. Injuries, injuries, injuries. Excuse me, injuries. And you just heard me talk about the Ben Roethlisberger injury. That's a huge injury. And again, it's non-contact. The steal is a very concerned because it was not non-contact. And it, I would assume he's going to need surgery. That's an assumption. By the time you listen to this, that news might be out. I don't know, but that does not look good. It does not sound good. It sounds like he's going to miss a lot of time. Drew Brees. It is being reported, as, as I'm recording this show today on Monday morning, it's being reported by Ian Rappaport of NFL Network that Drew Brees suffered a torn ligament in his throwing thumb, and he's going to be out at least six weeks So, Breeze, that was a tough injury to watch. Uh, Aaron Donald came in right up the middle, and Breeze throwing hand that just uh, made contact with Aaron Donald. He left that game. He went over to grab a football real quick. He couldn't even grip the football, and that's when you knew he wasn't coming back. And Teddy Bridgewater came in for New Orleans, and there was no protection for Teddy Bridgewater in that game. None whatsoever. Much like there was no protection for Drew Breeze. That's why he got hurt. So, Drew Brees, two major injuries with major quarterbacks, Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger, they're going to miss a lot of time. And if you watch the Sunday night football game between Philadelphia and Atlanta, the Falcons beating the Eagles in dramatic fashion, and the Eagles even had a shot late, but they couldn't get it done. Uh, They couldn't get that touchdown at the end of the game. Though Nelson Aguilar, he had that catch. He had it, and he dropped it. That should have been an easy catch and an easy touchdown to respond to Julio Jones' big touchdown on the screen pass, which Julio Jones took off and Atlanta scored late. Uh, Aguilar had a shot to make that even more dramatic and respond right away, and he just dropped the football. Now, he made another catch later on in that drive to get him down close to the end zone in the final seconds, but it just wasn't enough. He would have scored a touchdown if he had caught that ball up the left sideline, which was a perfect pass from Wentz, but... I think the story of this game, at least for Philadelphia on Sunday Night Football, losing to Atlanta, was injuries. How many guys did they lose? They lost Alshon Jeffrey early. They they lost Deshaun Jackson early. They lost like five or six players in this game. Even Carson Wentz left the game with an injury. You saw McCown come in for a couple plays and throw the football a couple times. So... The story of week two, I think, is injuries to to major players and key pieces to teams uh, that have a lot of hope this year. And so what happens in New Orleans now without Drew Brees? I mean, you're not going to put your money on them every week, are you? You thought maybe they'd, you know, um, Alvin Kamara would be able to do something without Drew Brees. He couldn't do anything against the Rams. And without Big Ben, what's Pittsburgh going to look like? What's Pittsburgh going to look like? And what are the Eagles going to look like with all those injuries to that offense, to the, to the weapons that Carson Wentz likes to throw to, you know? What's that going to look like in the NFC East? So, story week two around the league, to me, it's injuries. Here in New England, we watched the Patriots shut out the Dolphins in Miami, 43 to nothing. Um, This is still, the Patriots are a major story because they do look like, now even though, I, I get it, they played the Dolphins, okay? The Dolphins, are the Dolphins going to win any games this year? They might not. 
They might not. And if they do, they'll, they might only win one. So I don't want to take this win and put the Patriots on a pedestal just because of this win. But I think we all know how good the Patriots are. I think we all know how many weapons they have on offense. But I think we also all know that the Patriots might be the most dangerous team in the NFL because of their defense. They shut out the Dolphins. They only allowed three points in week one to Pittsburgh. They only allowed three points in the Super Bowl to the Rams. So the last touchdown they let up was in the AFC Championship last season. And you're looking at the defense now going, man, seven sacks, four interceptions in this game against Miami. Two of those interceptions, Jamie Collins and Stephon Gilmore took it to the house, resulted in, in pick sixes and touchdowns. And, you know, I, I get it. We're going to, we'll get into the Antonio Brown stuff. There is news on him. We'll get into the offensive weapons that Tom Brady has and how dangerous his Patriots offense looks. Don't give me the running up the score thing. The Patriots were still throwing the ball late, scoring touchdowns late. You saw that late touchdown pass to James White. Anybody who complains about running up the score in the NFL, you can't do it in the NFL. You can't. You can do that if you're uh, at the park and, you know, you're watching a Pup Warner game and your son's team is obviously not as good as the other team and not even close, and the other team late in the game is scoring. You know, that's a Pup Warner. If you're a football parent, you can make that argument and talk about and being mad about running up the score. You can't do it in the NFL. You can't do it. My my response to any team complaining about another team running up the score in the NFL, I would say, well, you know what? Do something to stop them. Stop them. Stop them. The Dolphins could not stop the Patriots. And it's, you know, talking about offense, it's obviously a more sexy topic, especially now with Antonio Brown in the mix. And he was in the mix. All right. And all eyes were on him. Four catches for Antonio Brown, 56 yards and a touchdown. They were getting the ball to him like we had kind of heard about early and often. Eight total targets for Antonio Brown in this game. He's going to be involved. Um, I mean, you just look at from an offensive standpoint, the Patriots, they distributed the football to nine different guys, both receiving and running. Right? You had. What, seven guys making catches? Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman, Rex Burkhead, Philip Dorsett, Matt Lacoste, James White, and Josh Gordon. And then Sony Michelle, James Devlin getting a couple rushes. So, I mean, you distribute the ball to nine different guys. You get so many weapons. It is more exciting to talk offense, and that's what a lot of people do. But really, the Patriots' defense is the. I mean, if, if in football, if you want to break down the football of the Patriots and what they're doing on the field, it's defense. Who's going to, I mean, who's going to have their way with the Patriots defense? Nobody. Nobody. You know, I'm, I can't wait to that week 14 game against Kansas City because you look at offenses and even week 13 against Houston. And, you know, that really after the bye week. After the bye week is when the bye week is week 10 for the Patriots. After the bye week, you get Philly, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City. Those are the four teams that are going to give this Patriots defense their toughest challenge. Those are the four teams that can move the football offensively. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see. And I mean, if you really wanted to look at the Baltimore game in week nine, I guess, Cleveland in week eight. You know, who knows what those two teams look like by the time you get to those games. But the teams that you know, that you know are going to throw the football. Philly, you know, you see it now. Dallas, Dak Prescott is playing with so much confidence. And he he should because he is, he's dropping balls in the bucket right now. And we know what Mahomes is. And we know Deshaun Watson, how dangerous of a, of a, of a threat he is. So those are really the four teams. Uh, I can't wait to get to those games. Uh, but the Patriots offense up until that point, excuse me, the Patriots defense up until that point, who who's going to be able to even, you know, have their way with the Patriots defense? Nobody. You got the Jets next week. Then you got the Bills. Then you got Washington. Then you got the Giants. The Giants continue to score the first touchdown in their first two games and then continue to do nothing after that. Giants lost to the Bills yesterday. 
Then you get the Jets again. Then you get Cleveland, Baltimore. I mean, the schedule for the Patriots is looking very easy right now. And this def- this Patriots defense, I don't know. When are they going to let up the first touchdown? Are they going to let up a touchdown against the Jets without Sam Donald? I know they have Le'Veon Bell. I think he's playing a little banged up right now. Doesn't he have a shoulder injury? Uh, Buffalo, are they going to score a touchdown on the Patriots? Is Washington going to score a touchdown on the Patriots? Will the Giants? <laughs> you might not see a touchdown against the Patriots until that Philadelphia game in Week 11, for crying out loud. So, um, on the field, the Patriots' defense is the story. Right? I mean, they're dominant. They're as dominant as you get right now. They're as shut down as you get. They beat the Dolphins 43-0. And so, I just gave you all the good. The bad? Got a couple injuries. I think you should be a little concerned about the offensive line. Isaiah Wynn left the game with the toe injury. You know, he was the new left tackle blocking Brady's backside. He's got a toe injury. We know Marcus Cannon was out. He was injured last week. So you got some injuries up front. And the new left tackle they threw in. I mean, he had it. He got a couple holding penalties. But, you know, you'd rather have him holding than have Brady get crushed from the backside. Right? Uh, and so that's going to happen. You, you're going to get some holding calls now. And it, it might bring back a couple of big plays. So that's one thing when you talk about the bad. Also the bad, Steven Goskowski missed a field goal and two extra points. So he missed three kicks in this one, and it's got some people in a panic. I'm not going to panic about it just yet. You do have a new holder. You know, I'm not zooming in to see if those holds are good or not. You know, I, we know. Laces out. I get it. It's a simple argument. What's going on with Goskowski? Is he in his own head? I'm sure it's very easy to get in your own head when you miss a couple easy ones. Extra points. These should be easy. He's missing them. Are the Patriots going to cut him? I don't think they're going to cut him. What else are they going to do? Where else are they going? Because if you cut Steven Guskowski, that means you have a backup plan ready to go. Is there a backup plan ready to go? That you could sit there and go, if you're the Patriots, you could sit there and go, this guy that we're going to put in Guskowski's spot is going to be over the long haul, better than Goskowski can be. Can you answer that question with another guy? Do you have someone in mind? I don't. If the Patriots do, it'll be a surprise to me. I don't expect them to do anything with Goskowski other than maybe work on some things at practice and and try to maybe get himself out of his own head. And that can happen. I'm, I'm not... Goskowski, I think he's going to be here for the long haul. And I... I mean, I would... I'm, I'll say he'll be fine. Okay? He'll be fine. So, that's the bad. I mean, if that's the bad, there's really not much that's bad in a 43 to nothing win. Um, But it brings us to the story that everyone's going to be talking about this week, and that's the Antonio Brown rape accusation, the investigation on the rape accusation. Antonio Brown did not speak to the media after this win in Miami. Should he speak to the media? I mean, you'll get, the, you know, the reporters want to talk to him. People want to talk to him. You know, at some point, we're going to have to get to football with Antonio Brown if he's going to stay on the Patriots and if the commissioner is not going to put him on the ex- exempt list. At some point, we will have to get into football with Antonio Brown, right? And, and so when we get to football with Antonio Brown, at some point, he's going to have to talk to the media. But he's going to be asked questions. Now, the Patriot way is, you know what? I can't talk about that. It's an ongoing investigation. Um, you know, my my representatives have released statements. I'll, you know, you could go look at those statements. I, you know, I only have questions about the Miami game. Uh, you know, we're playing the Jets in week three. If you got questions on the Jets, you know, I can answer those. You know, that's the Patriot way. That's the way you can handle this thing. I don't know when they're going to decide to do that. It, I will say, though, it's, <laughs> he probably shouldn't talk right now, right? He probably shouldn't talk. But that just adds to the awkwardness here of everything. It does. It adds to the awkwardness. And I talked about last week, I went on a rant on Antonio Brown. And I said, this is just awkward. 
you know, I, it's not just awkward for for me to talk about. It's awkward for Patriots players to answer questions about because that's the other part of Antonio Brown not talking means other players have to continue to answer questions about Antonio Brown. Like, you can't stand there and go, well, talk to Antonio about it. You have to talk to Antonio about that. Because then, then we can go, well, Antonio's not talking about it. So that's why we're asking you. And I think it's just unfair to some of these Patriots players to have to answer questions about a guy that, let's be honest, they probably don't know too well still. He's fairly new to the team. He is a prima donna with an ego. I watched the, it's so funny. I watched the video of Antonio Brown, and this was the first time I saw this. He was on the, the Maverick Carter LeBron James show there, the, the barbershop show. And he, he's, he's ranting. Antonio Brown's ranting about how he does not have an ego. <laughs> I'm going, what? You don't have an ego? Like, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And he sounds like an idiot saying it. Like, he's not a very smart dude. So that's another, maybe, a, a, a reason why he shouldn't talk right now. He's not a very smart dude. And if you watched Hard Knocks, he's, you add the, the, the strange personality that he does have. And you're like, I just don't know about this guy. Right? So, um, but what I do know just from when I've heard him talk is that it doesn't sound like he's a very bright dude. It doesn't. Because if you're going to come out and try to tell us you don't have an ego, you do have an ego. Okay? You are a prima donna. You are. He is. And so, I don't even know. I know he spent time, the reports, he spent time at the facility working out, staying at, you know, at, at the facility till 10 o'clock every night, working out, catching passes from Jared Stidham, working at the TV 12 center, going live on Instagram, by the way, was it live? Was it Instagram? Some on some platform, he went live on his phone, which some people said to me, Oh, look, he's live from the TV 12 center. They, they, they're fine with that. Well, I don't know. Were they fine with it? What are you going to do? While he's live, videotaping you, rush over to him and go, oh, no, shut that off, shut that off. You're not going to do that. Once you're live, you're live. Nothing he can say or do about it at that point. After the fact, you can. But when he's live, he's live. You know? Um, I don't know how they felt about that. But you can talk about him staying at the facility, doing all these things, looking like a patriot all you want. I have no idea if he's spending time getting to know the rest of the team, you know, being friends with other guys in the team. My point is, other guys in this team have to answer tough questions about Antonio Brown, and they probably don't even know him on a really on a personal level yet. Okay? Never mind to answer any question about him. <laughs> it's also questions about a rape accusation. Right? So, uh... It's just putting the rest of the team in a tough spot. And it's just an awkward, it's, it's really an awkward story to cover from my perspective. And I went on my rant on Thursday last week. Go back and listen to that if you want. It's also on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. But there's a perfect tweet that was thrown out yesterday that I thought, I honestly thought was perfect. And it's coming from Nora Princiati of the Boston Globe. She covers the Patriots of the Globe. She tweets out during the game. The Dolphins don't quite know how to cover Antonio Brown. I can relate. End quote. The Dolphins don't quite know how to cover Antonio Brown. They don't know how to cover him. I can relate. End quote. That's the tweet. It's perfect. Because I'm having a tough time with this one, too. I'm not going to lie to you. I am. And I've had some people try to tell me, uh, this is all going to, you know, this is, it's all dying down. It's going to go away. I don't know. Is it going to go away? Is it? You honestly believe this is just going away? Now, the latest on the actual investigation, from a league standpoint, is that the NFL investigating this right now. They are going to meet with Antonio Brown's accuser, Brittany Taylor. They're going to meet with her today on this Monday, September 16th. But according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, they were also going to meet with another football player who was, according to the accusation, 
there was another football player in Antonio Brown's house when one of the incidents went down. And then a later report came out and said that this other football player was Antonio Brown's cousin, Baltimore Ravens rookie Marquise Brown. So Marquise Brown is going to also talk to the NFL as well as part of this investigation. So there's still some things that we need to learn. I don't, we're never going to, we're probably never going to learn. We're probably never going to know whether or not Antonio Brown actually raped this girl. Right? We're never going to find out. We're never going to know. We're never going to know the truth. But the reason I'm having a tough time with it is, is fairly simple. And I can only speak for myself. But for the last year, with all the news that has surrounded Antonio Brown, for the last year, maybe even longer than that, I have been sitting here on this platform, on this show, crushing Antonio Brown. For the last year, I've been crushing him. I've been criticizing him nonstop for looking like and sounding like a crazy asshole. Right? Like, just a, just a crazy asshole. I've been crushing him for that. So for the last year, I've been crushing this guy for being a crazy asshole. All of a sudden, he comes to the Patriots, gets accused of rape, and I'm supposed to sit here and go, oh, he would, what? He would never do that. <laughs> what are you talking about? He would never, come on, he would never do that. It's a money grab. I don't know. I just have a tough time going from criticizing this guy for being a crazy asshole for the last year to just sitting there telling you that he would never do this. I have no idea. Maybe, it is, like I told you last week, it, it very well could be a money grab. At the same time, I don't know how you could sit there and go, oh, he'd never do it. Just because it's a, just because it's a civil case? Right now, it is. Who knows where this goes? Who knows? And, for, you know, the reports are that the two sides now have been talking about this for months. For months, they've been talking about this. Antonio Brown's team representatives and this girl's lawyers, Brittany Taylor's lawyers, they've been trying to come up with an agreement and they haven't been able to do it. So then the next question is, a question we asked last week, and I told you why it was an important question, because the question is, did the Patriots know about it before signing Antonio Brown? According to Ian Rappaport in this story that he sent out yesterday before the game, Patriots owner Robert Kraft, according to sources close to Kraft, Patriots owner Robert Kraft would not have signed off on the Antonio Brown signing had he known about the rape accusation. Which I still don't know if I can believe that because then it's like, well, what made you, what made you keep him then? Like, if you didn't know about it, what made, what made you keep him? If, if, if having known about it would have prevented you from signing Antonio Brown. How come when you find out about it, you say, eh, not only are, you gonna, are we going to keep him, we're going to give him eight targets right off the bat in his first game just a couple days later. So I don't even know if I believe that. Um, I don't know what to believe. That's the problem here. That's why, we're, that's why I'm having a tough time. That's why the tweet from Noah Princiati, the Boston Globe yesterday, was perfect. The Dolphins don't quite know how to cover Antonio Brown. I can relate. Basically, she covers the Patriots. She doesn't quite know how to cover Antonio Brown as a reporter. And as somebody who, in my position, is supposed to come on this show and give you my analysis, my reaction, my thoughts, I'm having a tough time knowing how to cover the Patriots right now, knowing how to cover Antonio Brown. Because all I can think about as the Patriots sit there and go is Bill Belichick stands there late last week and is asked about Antonio Brown and is asked about whether or not Antonio Brown will play against Miami and he stands there and goes, we're going to do what's best for the team. You know, as all these guys praise Antonio Brown, as he stays at Tom Brady's house, as he works out at Tom Brady's facility, as the Patriots embrace Antonio Brown as much as they've ever embraced anybody in the history of the organization. All I can sit back and think about is, well, what happens if there's some piece of evidence that this girl has that she hold, she's holding on to that, that shows up at some point that maybe gets people thinking, 
Eh, maybe Antonio Brown did do that. Maybe he did rape her. How bad is that going to look for the Patriots? How embarrassing of a look is that going to be for everybody? And I know you could say, well, that just goes to show you he didn't do it. And they know he didn't do it. Because if they knew he didn't do it, they would never be embracing him like this. I, I don't know. Well, they might believe he didn't do it. But that gets into the whole, what makes me believe Antonio Brown didn't do it? Like, I, I don't understand that. You don't have to come out and say he did it. Because it very well could be a money grab. But I think there, there needs to be a middle ground here with the Antonio Brown stuff. Because I'm hearing a lot of people, especially come at me when I talk to people. And they're going, oh, he, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Well, what do you mean? What, how do you know? Have you ever been in the same room as Antonio Brown? You know, all we can do is judge it based on what the guy's personality is. And again, I've spent the last year crushing this guy's personality. I spent the last month crushing his personality just based on what I saw on Hard Knocks on HBO. That guy's a weirdo. You know, you got other stories coming out in which his stepfather... His stepfather he's basically said... He wouldn't be surprised if Antonio Brown did it because he's been somebody that always gets what he wants his whole life, and he's been abusive to women in the past. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. Who knows what the situation is there, right? Yeah, you got to question that. You got to question that report coming out because maybe this, his stepfather, maybe Antonio Brown wouldn't give his stepfather money, and that's a money grab too. He wants money to shut up and not spread, not talk to the new to the New York media or any media, right? He wants money to he could want money to shut up. He could. So, I, but again, with, from my seat, the seat that I'm sitting in, from my perspective, and even from that tweet, someone who covers the team, Noah Princiata of the Boston Globe, and any Patriots reporter, I don't know. I, this, is, this is an awkward, we're in an awkward spot. Because I don't, maybe he did do it. Like, should I, like, if I was a, a reporter, Antonio Brown, you know, t- first of all, take the, let's take the rape accusation out of it for a second. Let's take it out of the, let's take it out of the equation. Let's just forget about it for a second. Antonio Brown, superstar receiver, got, you know, worked his way out of Oak, worked his way out of Pittsburgh, then worked his way out of Oakland, came to an agreement with the Patriots, seemed a little crazy because of the helmet situation. There were questions about his feet after being frostbitten, right? Frostbitten feet. Gets into it with Mike Mayock of the Raiders. Crazy on social media. Celebrates losing out on $30 million. Superstar receiver. Comes to the Patriots. Patriots go to him early and often. Beautiful touchdown pass. Back shoulder. Left corner of the end zone. Eight targets. Antonio smiling. Patriots score 43. They shut out the Dolphins. Can you believe it? The Patriots have Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown talks to the media if there's no rape accusation. The story is Antonio Brown on the field. His connection with Tom Brady. You know, it's looking like when Randy Moss came to the Patriots. Get that big name receiver in the fold. Didn't work out with other teams, but it's going to work here. Oh, it's going to work here. Antonio Brown put the Patriots in the Super Bowl. There's no way they're losing now. You know, without the rape accusation, it's everybody. There's no other story here. That's it. It's Antonio Brown. Can you do that today? You can't. You can't. There's something preventing us from doing that. I, uh, maybe I should just speak for myself. There's something preventing me from doing that. And, and that one thing that's preventing me from doing that is that there's a rape accusation hanging over this guy's head. And you can yell and scream about it being a civil suit, a civil case. I've, I just, the, the last thing I want to do is sit here and go, he would never do that. And then this girl, Brittany Taylor, meets with Roger Goodell, and she's got some fucking video or audio clip of the guy. Like, I mean, I have no idea. I read a t- that text message from Antonio Brown. He's upset with the whole thing. But he also, it's also a very tough text to read. At the same time, not only for some of the words he's using 
and the way, you know, he's just attacking this girl, but also just how how dumb he seems, right? Like, so there's a lot going on here. And there's so much going on that we don't know, that we'll never know, that I'm just having a tough time. Like the Dolphins and like Noah Princiati, the Boston Globe tweeted out yesterday, I don't quite know how to cover Antonio Brown. I don't. I don't. And there'll be people that will yell and scream at me and tweet at me. And even I have friends. I have people who are close to me. They go, come on, Danny. He didn't do this. No, no, what? I'm not saying you have to come to me and tell me he did it. Because even if you said to me, oh, he definitely did it. I would probably tell you to pump the brakes and go, well, you don't know that. You don't know that he did that. You know, you don't. Innocent until proven guilty. I believe in that. But the way that people, you know, yeah, innocent but proven guilty, but it's still hanging over his head. Like, it's still ongoing. And I just have this feeling that there's more to come out. I don't know. I just have this feeling. So that's why it's tough to cover. Like, I have people close to me going, it's it's a money grab. There's no way he did it. I don't know how you could be that dead set on it. I don't know how you could be that dead set on that mindset. That there's no way he did it. I think there's a way he could have done it. I don't know that he did. I don't know that he didn't. I don't know is the key phrase. We don't know is the key phrase. I don't know what the NFL is going to do. For all we know, Antonio Brown is going to be put on the exempt list later today. After they talk with this girl. Her and her lawyers, who knows? They give a piece of information that they've, they've been hiding. They haven't revealed yet. I have no idea. No clue. Maybe they talk to the, to the cousin. And the cousin spills the beans on something. I don't know. I don't want to sit here and, and, and put the Patriots pom-poms on and go, Antonio Brown is the greatest. And there's some piece of evidence that proves that he raped this girl. Like, I'm not going to do it. The Patriots are kind of doing it. And that's why it's a little awkward. I don't want this to be a story. I don't know why the Patriots would want it to be a story. But they've embraced it. Antonio Brown's not talking. The Patriots, they're going to try to keep winning. And do what Bill Belichick says is in the best interest of the football team. 43-0, they beat the Dolphins. Now they get the Jets, the Bills, Washington, the Giants, the Jets again. And... Got that game against Cleveland in Week 8. Let's see what Cleveland's going to be by the time we we break that one down and call it an easy game or not. I don't know that that's going to be an easy game. Uh, but let's see what Cleveland looks like here the first seven weeks. First couple weeks, at least. But it's just... I don't know. I, mean, I feel like I'm, we're in an awkward spot. And I know you get... Again, you get your people who are like, oh, we just stop. There's no way he did it. It's a money grab. Civil suit. Money grab. And... Maybe I can only speak for myself on this, but I've spent the last year crushing Antonio Brown for for being a, a lunatic, crazy asshole. But suddenly I'm supposed to change my tune on that and go, oh, wait a minute, on second dot, he would never do something crazy. I have a tough time doing it. I, I'm, I, have, I have a tough time, equally a tough time, sitting here accusing him of rape because I don't know. But I don't know. And because we don't know, and he's still playing, and he's obviously having success, how do you cover this? How do you cover this? I guess we need to wait and see. But again, even with, even if the league, this is the crazy part, even if the NFL has a decision on like the exempt list, the NFL has never done anything right, it seems, with regards to their personal conduct policy or just suspensions or exemplars in general. They've never done anything right. So are we supposed to see a decision that the NFL makes and go, oh, that's the right decision based on what we know? I don't know. We don't know enough. But we also know that the NFL doesn't do things right. So are we going to know how to react when the NFL makes a decision? Probably not. This is a league that decided they weren't going to show up to the Greg Hardy appeal and let somebody else take his 10-game suspension down to four games, which is the same amount of games that Tom Brady served 
for the air pressure in a football. Greg Hardy threw his girlfriend on a bed full of guns. You want me to be more specific than that? Okay, it was a futon full of guns. And yet he served the same amount of time as Tom Brady. That's all you need to know to know that the NFL does not handle any of this shit the right way. So I, even when they make a decision, exempt list, non-exempt list, will we even know if that's the right decision? It's, it's kind of an awkward story. It's something I wish we didn't have to talk about. But it's something we have to talk about. Without a whole lot of knowledge. We think we know, right? We, th- we get all these, all these pieces of information. Antonio Brown's team, they fire off this, uh, this whole sheet of paper with all these facts they have. Again, this is he said, she said. Just because Antonio Brown's lawyers and representatives are throwing out these things that they are telling you are facts doesn't mean they're facts. It's just he said. This is he said, she said. We don't know. It's a tough thing to cover. Dolphins couldn't cover Antonio Brown. and Well, I don't know that we here in New England know how to cover Antonio Brown. I thought that was a perfect tweet. Um, so let's see how it plays out, right? Let's see how it plays out. On the football field, the Patriots are dominant. Who's beating them? Who's beating them? What are they, a 17-point favorite already at home against the Jets next week? 1 o'clock on Sunday on CBS? Without Probably without Sam Donald. Sam Donald's not playing tonight on Monday Night Football. There was a report that Donald's doing, doing better than people expected, but the mono could put you out like six weeks, couldn't it? So I don't think Sam Donald will be playing in that game against the Jets. Excuse me, uh, yeah, for the Jets against the Patriots. What will Le'Veon Bell look like? Patriots are dominant, and uh, unfortunately, you got another story that's kind of lingering over their dominance right now. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. You know, we'll see how it plays out. That's what we got week two in the NFL. Any other major storylines that I I forgot? Uh, Jimmy G goes into Cincy. Couple touchdowns, puts up 41 points. Uh... Green Bay looked good at home against Minnesota with a win over the Vikings. Um, I talked about Buffalo beating the Giants. Dallas, Dak Prescott playing with all this confidence. Houston just barely beat Jacksonville, but a win is a win. Houston needed to win that after the way they lost in week one in New Orleans. And how about, oh, Chicago, Denver. Chicago beats Denver. This one was back and forth late, and it was crazy from, this is crazy from Denver's perspective. They scored a touchdown late. They decide to go for two. They end up, what, getting a penalty before they go for two. Pushes them back. So they decide to kick the, kick the extra point to tie it. Then, someone from Chicago jumps offsides in the extra point attempt. So they take the offsides. They move back up. They decide to go for two again. And they get it. They get the two. And they go up. They go up 14-13. Chicago drives downfield. They benefit from a roughing the passer call that was just... How are you calling that roughing the passer? We should we should expect bad calls in the NFL by now. So, <laughs> I expect bad calls in the NFL. I've seen so many of them that I'm not surprised. And I'm not surprised that nobody would even talk about it because we shouldn't be surprised. A terrible roughing the passer. Move Chicago up. They kicked the game-winning field goal, and the Bears win it in Denver. And speaking of bad refs, I talked about the Drew Brees injury. The Rams got screwed on a terrible call in which Goff fumbled for the Rams. Rams hosted New Orleans. Jared Goff fumbled. Cameron Jordan picks it up for New Orleans and runs it like 90 yards down the field for a touchdown. But they blew the whistle dead. They review it. They say, you know what? It was a fumble. They give New Orleans the football. But they they have it now at, like, their own 10-yard line. They should have had a touchdown. But because they blew the play dead, they couldn't give them the touchdown. Oh, the refs blew that. How many calls are the refs going to blow against New Orleans? How many? How many? And another one against the Rams. That's even funnier. But the Rams end up winning that game. Drew Brees' injury really affected how New Orleans was playing, and that's really going to affect how they play the rest of the season. So uh, that's week two in a nutshell. 
And now we look ahead to week three, and we keep our eye on this Antonio Brown story. Whatever does happen with Antonio Brown, I will react to it later in the week on Thursday. Don't forget, though, I also have a new live stream that I launched a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's called DPS Live, Danny Picard Show Live. It's every Tuesday at 10 a.m., and there's a toll-free call-in number for you, the audience, to call in and give you a take. You got thoughts on the Antonio Brown situation? Call in tomorrow at 10 a.m. I will be live streaming, and it'll be on Twitch. I have been saying exclusively on Twitch, but I think we're also going to attempt to go live on YouTube tomorrow. At the same time, I have this new program that I think is going to allow me to do both. I'm going to be testing it out today. But if we can do both, that'll be a little better. Because Twitch, it's tough to build an audience on Twitch if you're not gaming. And I'm not gaming on Twitch. I'm not playing video games on Twitch. So it's tough to build that audience there. Um, But I'd like to be on both platforms. Initially, I was talking to people at Twitch, and I thought there would be some type of partnership. But, you know, some of these people that work for these companies, they're like... If you're not doing it the way they want you to do it, they're not gonna they're not gonna bend at all. So whatever. Then so fine. We won't be exclusively on Twitch. I'll I'll do both. I'll go back to YouTube as well. We'll do both. So live tomorrow at 10 a.m. Get your phone calls in. If you have thoughts on week two, I will take them. Um, if you're in the Boston area and you have thoughts on the Red Sox, I'll take those as well. Last week on the live stream, I did get into the Red Sox. Firing Dave Dombrowski, the president of baseball operations. I don't think I got into that on this show here on Podcast One. I got into it on the live stream. But the Red Sox fired Dave Dombrowski. I don't think they should have. I think Dave Dombrowski's getting screwed. But something happened, right? Dombrowski wanted a new contract. He had one year left on his deal. I'm sure he wanted a new contract, an extension, because he's been dishing out extensions to guys that helped win the World Series last year. He's given extensions and rewarded guys for that World Series. Dombrowski's probably going, I put this World Series team together. Where's my reward? Well, as we found out in a story in the Boston Globe from Alex Spear, the lead quote in that story from a Red Sox official or somebody in the organization, which I'm assuming is one of the owners, Henry Awarna, because it, the, the Red Sox own the globe. The lead quote is, is Dave Dombrowski creative enough to get us through this? So obviously the Red Sox internally were asking that question. Is Dombrowski creative, creative enough to get us through this? Well, you have to ask, well, what is this? What are they trying to get through? And it's a money situation. The money that they've ditched out, the guys like Sale, Avaldi, you got Bogots on a new contract. You got the J.D. Martinez contract. You got the David Price contract. You got all these contracts. And now you got another piece of the puzzle that you got to lock up. You got to take care of. And it's Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts has one more year left on his deal next year. And then he's a free agent. You also got Jackie Bradley Jr. there in the same situation. Obviously, Mookie Betts is a better player than Jackie Bradley Jr. Overall. Um, but that's the Mookie Betts contract is sort of the elephant in the room. And the Red Sox, it sounds like, were questioning whether or not Dave Dombrowski would be able to get creative enough to make this all work and still put a team, a playoff team, on the field. And Dombrowski's probably like, what? You're not going to give me an extension because you don't think I'm creative enough? I was creative enough to get us a world champion while also holding on to Rafael Devers, Andrew Benatendi, Mookie Betts, and Jackie Bradley Jr. I held on to all these young kids, and you're questioning my creativity. And we didn't just win a World Series. We were one of the most dominant teams in the history of baseball. But I'm not creative enough? So, I think at that point, the the divide was Mookie. I think one side wants to pay Mookie, and it's probably Dombrowski. And the Red Sox probably don't. And they don't think he can get creative enough. And 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 maybe it's he didn't want to get creative enough. Maybe Dombrowski's sitting there going, guys, we're the Red Sox. Give Mookie Betts a contract. And then we'll figure it out. Like, really? Just sign the check. What's the holdup here? Um, 
So they something happened. There was obviously a disagreement, and it was to the point where the Red Sox season is over. Dombrowski's probably like, hey, if you guys aren't going to bring me back, I'll let me do my job. And, you know, he went all Bill Parcells probably. If you're not going to let me shop for the groceries, and how am I supposed to cook this dinner? And he pro- they probably just had, it was probably a mutual pot in the ways towards the end. But it's clear they disagreed on something, and it must have been the Mookie Betts thing. Must have been. So what do the Red Sox want to do with Mookie Betts? Dave Dombrowski is gone. The Red Sox are looking for a new GM, and I assume they're going to put a GM in place that's going to do what they want to do, right? That's going to do what ownership wants to do. And what ownership wants to do is get creative somehow. And they want to get rid of some money while still being competitive. Well, if you say you want to get rid of some money, the first thing you think of isn't sign Mookie Betts. That would be spending more money. So do they want to trade Mookie Betts? Look, I know I've teased on social media that I should be the next Red Sox GM. I mean, I would love to be. And I would love to have an interview, actually. Because I do have some things that I would do for this team. One of them, and here's my interview right here. We can make, we can make this my interview. But if you've listened to me, you know what my strategy would be. You know, the guys you need to build around are Mookie Betts, Xander Bogots, and Rafael Devers. Those are the guys you need to build around. So you do need to sign Mookie Betts. A priority that I would have if I'm the Red Sox GM is to sign Mookie Betts. That would all, that would be dependent on what ownership would be willing to spend, though. But if ownership's saying to me, well, if we're going to give money to Mookie Betts, you got to get creative and do something else and shed some money, shed some salary, then I don't think it's that complicated. David Price is making $30 million a year, $31 million, million a year for the next three years. See ya. Gone. He's traded. We might have to eat a little money to free up money, but he's, we might as well get rid of him. Um, J.D. Martinez, you know, I, you might have to sacrifice him. You might have to trade him. Jackie Bradley Jr., you might have to trade him. But I'm signing Mookie Betts. Like, this shouldn't be that complicated. Okay? You give Mookie Betts a big money contract, and if he's going to reject that right now, that's why you need to do that first. You need to make that offer first. Right? You need to make that offer first. And now you can say, well, then you lose leverage on trading Price and trading Martinez because other teams know you've got to shed salary. Which is why making a big deal out of it, if you're the Red Sox, is kind of foolish. Publicly. With that story from Alex Spear in the Globe, where you're telling Alex Spear, well, this is what... You know, now you're you put yourself in a tough spot. But, I think the easiest thing to do is to say, who do we build around, and how do we keep him here? I just told you who to build around. You're building around Mookie, Devis, and Bogots. Bogots is under a new contract. Devis... You know, he's under team control. He's young enough for a good amount of time. Everybody else is on the table. On the table. Everybody else is tradable to me for the right deal. Everybody else. But you don't make any of those trades if Mookie, if you offer Mookie Betts a $330 million deal, which is what Bryce Hopper got. You got to think. Let's be realistic. You're going to have to give him at least Bryce Hopper money. 330 mil. If Mookie rejects that, thinking that he's going to go into free agency and get 400 mil and get a trout contract, then if you're the Red Sox, you say, okay, then maybe we have to move Mookie Betts. Maybe then we have to move Mookie Betts, right? Because we're not making Mookie Betts the highest paid player in North American sports history. Like, that's just not going to happen. But I will give him a Bryce Hopper contract, which is huge money, by the way. 330 mil, it's huge. I do that. I'd do that for eight years. I'd do that over eight years. If he wants 10, I'll give him 10. I'm not going to give him 12, but I'll give him 10. If you can make that happen, though, then it's like, all right, David Price on the block. Would I have to move J.D. Martinez? I'd, I'd prefer not to, but I would. If it meant signing Mookie Betts, I would move him. I would. J.D. Martinez has option years the next couple, you know, but J.D. Martinez could opt out. So you might not even get the opportunity to train him, but that might be a good thing if you're just looking to shed money to get rid of, you know, clear some money. But I'm trading David Price. 
And you know what? I'm going to entertain the idea of trading Jackie Bradley Jr. too because his agent is Scott Boris. They're going to be asking for crazy money. I think they're going to be asking for crazy money. And I know you could roll your eyes at that and say, well, he doesn't, he can't hit for his life. How are they going to ask for crazy money? Well, Scott Boris is a creative dude. He's going to have that defensive highlight reel, you know, on loop for teams. Their mouth is going to be watering over this. Put it this way. Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be looking to get overpaid. And if you're in a situation where you're going to overpay for someone, it's not going to be for the guy you can't hit and plays great defense. It's going to be for the guy who plays really good defense and is one of the best hitters in the league. If you're going to overpay for anybody, you're going to overpay for Mookie Betts, not Jackie Bradley Jr. So you're talking about moves you can make? I'm probably going to trade Jackie Bradley Jr. this offseason. I mean, that would be that would be something. And maybe that's to throw in to a David Price trade instead of having to eat money. You know, a team might look at David Price and go, you're going to trade David Price to us? I mean, he's got injury issues. Uh, he's not the youngest cat in the league anymore. He's in his 30s. He, You know, $31 million for the next three years? That's a big contract. $93 million? Three years, $93 million for David Price? It's a big contract. Are his best years behind him? That's when you go, you know what? All right, we'll throw... How, what about Jackie Bradley Jr.? What if I throw both of those in with a prospect? You know, do you have a young pitcher you could give us? That's the type of trade I think the Red Sox... I think Red Sox ownership is looking to make. And if you could do those things, you can sign Mookie Betts. But you got to make sure you get the okay from Mookie Betts first. Because if you offer Mookie Betts Bryce Hopper money, and he's like, eh, we're going to go for Trout money. That's when you go, okay, Mookie Betts is on the block instead. Right? So you got to figure out Mookie first. And I just think when it comes to what happened with Dombrowski and the Red Sox, the elephant in the room, or as I said on the live stream last week, there must have been one thing that that resulted in this potting of the ways. And the straw that broke the camel's back must have been the way the Red Sox view Mookie Betts and what they want to do with him, or at least what they want the, the plan for the team to be with regards to Mookie Betts and whether or not they sign him and what Dave Dombrowski wanted to do. I mean, the way Dombrowski has wanted this team to spend money, it is possible that Dombrowski was just sitting there going, really, guys? Why don't you give Mookie Betts the money he wants and then then we'll figure shit out. And maybe the Red Sox are like, well, no, what's your plan? And maybe he didn't have one. Maybe Dombrowski's going, come on, you're the Red Sox. Are you really going to be upset about money? Spend the money. And while we're at it, get me a new contract. And they're like, well, we're not going to give you a new contract if you, if if your theory is just spend money, spend money, spend money, and not get creative. And then he probably responds, well, what do you mean, not going to get creative? I can get creative. Give me a new contract. I'll get creative. Give Mookie his money. We'll get creative. Yeah, I, I just, I think it all came back to Mookie. That's my theory. I have no inside information on that. But as the new Red Sox GM... What I would do is, first things first, figure out a plan for Mookie while also having this plan on what I would do after Mookie. If Mookie agrees to it, then I got players I'm moving. Here are the players I'm moving to free up some other money. If Mookie's not going to sign, Mookie's going. I don't think it's that complicated. I don't. But we'll see what the Red Sox do. We'll see what the Red Sox do with the GM position. Who they bring in to make these moves. Perhaps they just stick with someone in-house. Someone internal. You know, they've got some guys internally that have been in the organization for the last 10 years. I think they could find someone if they really wanted to stay in-house. They could stay in-city and bring me in. They could do that, right? You know, Theo Epstein? <laughs> what was he? He was, uh, he was the, the sports editor or the editor of his college newspaper, right? I was the sports editor of my college newspaper. You know, what could Theo do that I can't when it comes to decision-making with a baseball team? <laughs> I can get creative with trades. I tell you about it all the time. Let's make it happen. Um, But I don't think they're bringing Theo back. They're not going to bring Mike Hazen back. He just signed an extension with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, who are they bringing in? Who are the Red Sox going to bring in? We shall wait 
and see, but uh, whatever breaks on that front, I will react to it. The Red Sox, they continue to play baseball, but the season is over. They are not going to the postseason, but when postseason baseball does begin, I will certainly not ignore that. I think that is one of the more exciting times of year when we get postseason baseball, even if the Red Sox aren't in it. Uh, But then we got some NHL news. The Bruins. How about Don Sweeney? How about him? You talk about creativity as a GM. Don Sweeney getting creative. The Bruins signed Charlie McAvoy to a three-year extension with an annual cap hit of $4.9 million. That's it. Now, this is the same weekend in which you look over at Toronto, you know, the rival Maple Leafs, they just signed Mitch Mana to a six-year deal that's worth $10.8 million annually. So they gave Mitch Mana double per year what the Bruins gave Charlie McAvoy. What contract would you rather have? It is a no-brainer. You'd rather have the Charlie McAvoy contract. You, you, shouldn't, you should not have to think about that. Charlie McAvoy, this is a steal. Now, I was a little concerned as to whether or not this meant McAvoy would do, you know, this is, this is a type of contract where maybe in three years McAvoy is like, you know what, I'm testing the waters as an unrestricted free agent now. And, you know, you lose him. And it's not, you know, this isn't, you didn't lock him up long term, and so uh, the three-year deal, you know, you maybe reacted out with mixed emotions. But then I read a quote from Don Sweeney that said, Charlie McAvoy will be playing for the Bruins for a long time. And it, it, I don't know, it made it sound like, it made it sound like there was some type of other agreement that was verbal. Now, verbal agreements, you know, don't can't take them too seriously because they're verbal. But... I mean, Don Sweeney doesn't seem to be concerned that McAvoy's just doing three years and then up and running to the highest bidder. And and because he doesn't seem concerned about that, it makes me feel a little better about this only being a three-year extension. But, I mean, the the annual cap hit? Look at the the Bruins' contracts right now compared to the rest of the league. Think about this. you got McAvoy and Pasternak combined average annual for the next three years combined. Pasternak and McAvoy making the same amount as Mitch Mana combined. Or maybe a little more. Like a million more. But that's crazy. Mitch Mana in one year is going to make the same as McAvoy and Pasternak combined? And Pasternak and McAvoy just signed new contracts? So Don Sweeney's getting the job done. If you look at the Bruins' core, I mean, most of their core is making between five and seven million a year. Which is great. Which is great. So, Don Sweeney, great job with the McAvoy contract. I think it puts the Bruins in a great position here moving forward. And if you have to even think about the answer to that, to that question, what would you, who would you rather have? McAvoy at $4.9 million a year or Mitch Mana for, for ten point eight? If you have to even think about that, I just don't even know that you've watched the sport in the last five years. The answer to that question is McAvoy on a contract worth 4.9 mil a year. It's a no-brainer. You shouldn't have to think twice about that. So that's the Bruins news as they get set for their preseason action. Um, we're about to get to that point of the year where there's just going to be everything going on. Football, postseason baseball, hockey, basketball, everything. So uh, it's about to get really busy. If it isn't already really busy on this show, I am here on the Podcast One Network every Monday and Thursday. I'll be back on Thursday to give you picks picks for week three in the NFL uh, against the spread. I'm having a good start to the year so far. I'm feeling good about my picks. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, when it comes to the Patriots and the spread, I know the spreads are high. I don't think I'm going to be backing off these. I took Patriots minus 18 and a half, and I got that. I don't think I'm going to back off minus 17 against the Jets. Even if Sam, you know, if Sam Donald comes back, I think that might go down a little bit. But maybe it won't. People might just keep putting so much money on the Pats that that thing shoots up to 21. I don't know. We'll see. But if, I, if you would ask me right now, Patriots are going to be part of my picks on Thursday, but I'll give those on Thursday, and I will react to anything that happens with the Antonio Brown circus, and I still call it a circus because I don't think this is going away. 
Um, but we'll we'll find out. I look, I hope it goes away, and I hope they're able to prove that this is just a money grab. I do hope that. I hope that. I hope that that they're able to prove that. Right now, I just don't know. And it's it's a it's a tough thing to cover. It's it's a tough storyline to cover. It really is. Because part of you wants to go, wow, the Patriots, look at all these weapons, Antonio Brown. And the other party is like, eh. Do I sit here and put the pom-poms on and praise a guy that might have might have raped someone? Like, do I want do I want that? I, I don't really I don't really feel comfortable doing that. And which makes all the things that the Patriots are saying about Antonio Brown a little awkward. So it's a tough story to cover. So I'd like um, if there could be a little more clarity on this story. That would be nice. But anything that happens on that front, I will react to it on Thursday. Get this show at Podcast One. Also on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Danny Picard. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Enjoy the rest of your week. Again, tomorrow, Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, going live on Twitch. And if the program that I have, the new program that I have works, also live on YouTube. I am out. Talk to you then.